got up here, Will told me to keep it short, but, but Will, this may just give me more time to just go for it. So, um, man, I won't do that to you. I know we all got to get where we got to go, but I encourage you to open your, open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 30. Last week in the first service, we, we considered the, the temptation of Jesus, and I have failed to get that up this week due to the snow, but I'll get that up if you want to go back and listen to it. But for those uh, 35 folks that had heard that one, they didn't want to repeat what we did. So we're going to go ahead and move on to the next passage here. And it says, Jesus comes to his hometown. He comes back to Nazareth. And so let's hear these words together. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Uh, beginning in verse 14. It says, As Jesus, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no doubt, is, no, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the, brow, to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. There's no place like home. Well, I'm not sure that we would admit that, having been confined to our homes for a solid week, uh, but most of us understand or at least have felt the truth of that statement at different points. I imagine the Hensons have felt that this week, being gone for so long, and then when they finally got to see their homes, imagine they felt something of that. Um, there's something about our stuff, right? Our recliner, our bed, there's something about our places, you know, whether it's uh, our kitchen, our living room, maybe it's those places that in our hometown that we grew up in, you know, the, the library parking lot for me that brings back memories. Uh, something about our people, our family, our friends, those people who know us best, who know things about us that, that nobody else knows, that we would tell nobody else. As that Cheers theme song put so eloquently, we want to be where everybody knows our name, right? Because there, there, it's, it's the place that, that we can let our guard down. 
There we usually can take off that mask that, that we wear and we can just be ourselves. There, at home, there is comfort. There's familiarity. There, there's, there's peace in the routine of our homes. And so whether we're coming home from a long trip, whether we're coming home from a business trip, or whether we're going back to the place where we grew up, we all like to, to go home to fill those places uh, where we have been. As we turn to, to Luke today, you have to imagine that, that some of that was going on for Jesus as he goes back to Nazareth. You know, we don't know how long he has been gone from his hometown, but it's clear from verses 14 and 15 that, that after he is tempted in the wilderness, after he is baptized, he goes out and he begins to preach in the area there in Galilee. And so as he comes back to Nazareth here today, uh, it's sort of a homecoming, right? We can imagine Jesus sitting down to his favorite meal with Mary and his brothers and sisters. We can imagine him going back to, to the shop where he learned how to be a carpenter with his dad. Uh, we can imagine him going around this town seeking out the comfort, the familiarity of all of this that is home to him, right? Uh, Jesus was coming back to the place where he was raised. And there's a comfort there. But obviously we know that that's not the only reason that, that Jesus came back. From verses 14 and 15, we also know that as he comes back, he comes home different. He comes home with a following, right? It says there that as he's preached, that, that all were glorifying him in verse 15, that everybody was amazed at the things that he said. And so he comes home with a following, but he also comes home with a message, with a message of salvation. And it's there that, that Luke really picks up the story for us in verse 16. Look at what he says there. It says, he came home to Nazareth and was his custom. He goes to the synagogue on the Lord's day, as was his custom. Now, I realize that, that in many ways I'm preaching to the choir here, but we can't just pass that by without at least touching on it. Our Lord's custom was to go to the Lord's house on the Sabbath day. He didn't do it just when he felt like it. He didn't do it just because he thought it was a good idea. It was his custom to go to be with God's people, to sing God's praises. Yes, to teach as we see him do here, but also to hear God's words proclaimed. He understood the value, the necessity of worship of being in God's house. Now, y'all know that we live in a time where Sundays, where the Lord's day is just another day, where worship is just an option on our plate of things that we can do. But Scripture is clear, and Jesus is clear here, that worship is not simply an option. It's a necessity. It is an obligation. It is a non-negotiable for God's people. Well, that's not simply just because God needs our worship. He's some vain God who needs to be praised. Now, we know he is all glorious within himself, within the Trinity. He has all he needs. So he doesn't need our praises, but he calls us in because he knows that worship is what we were created to do. It is there as we worship that we find our highest calling. What is it that, that John Piper says is that, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, right? Well, here, here as we gather together as God's people, we find real comfort. We find real peace. 
We find like-minded people who know what it's like to be us, to walk in our shoes. Here we find the presence and the grace of our Father in the sacraments, in the Word of of God, in prayer. It's here that that we find that satisfaction that that we really long for. Now look, we find that that in all of life, right? All of life is to be worshipped. We find that especially here. And so we come not just out of obligation, though there is that, but we come, it becomes our custom, because I would submit to you that here we find home. And we're talking about Jesus going home today. Friends, it is here for Christians that we get as close to home as we're going to get on earth. What is home for us? Well, it's it's hometowns, it's our house. But for Christians, more than that, it's the new heavens, it's the new earth, right? It's Christ's kingdom. It's reigning with him. It's being with him for all of eternity. Here, as we're gathered together, we see that picture of Revelation 21 and 22, right? Where everybody is gathered around the throne of the Most High. Where they are worshiping him. Where he speaks to them. He wipes the tears from their eyes. They edify each other. They build each other up. It's here that we get as close to that as we are going to get until we get there on that day. And so we come. We come because this, this is in some sense home for us until we go home to be with him for all of eternity. This is where we meet with him in a real way, where he comes and he meets with us in a real way, where he gives us his grace, where he gives us his mercy. And so as his people, we should never fail. We should never neglect to meet together. And again, I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all are here today, right? Y'all, y'all know the truth of that, and I commend you for it. But we should never, we should never fail to do it. And so Jesus, he comes, uh, he, he worships as was his custom. And as was the tradition in the synagogues, he, he's given the opportunity to preach. He's given the opportunity to teach. And we don't know if he was able to, to pick what passage he would preach from, or if they just simply passed him the, the scroll of Isaiah. But in God's providence, it was the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens it up to Isaiah 61, and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now we're going to come back in just a second and consider the implications of those words. But for now, I just want you to imagine this scene. Because it's an amazing one. Here's Jesus, this this hometown guy who has left, who has gone out, who has amassed this following to some degree or another, and who has been preaching this message that, that has surely made its way back to Nazareth. Before he gets there, they know what Jesus is coming to say. You know, you read that in verses 14 and 15, that that all of these good things were being said throughout the countryside about him. So we can be sure they have some idea of what Jesus is coming to say when he walks in that synagogue that day. And then he reads this passage, a passage that is clearly about the Messiah. And so as he hands it back to them, and as he sits down, which again was the custom for that time, they would preach sitting down, As he sits down, Luke says, every eye in the place was on him, right? You could have heard a pin drop. They're waiting to see, all right, what's he going to say here? 
He, he is talking about the Messiah. What is he going to claim about himself? What does he say? Well, probably in the midst of a larger discourse, he probably says more than what we have recorded here. But this is the heart of it, right? This is the punch. In verse 21, it says that he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, for us, this would be the, the mic drop, right? That's what we talk about today. This would be that moment where you drop the mic and you walk away. Remember back in when we were looking at Luke chapter 3 and John the Baptist, you remember the people were waiting expectantly. Their expectations were high to the point that they thought John might be the Christ. And so these are people who are anticipating. They're waiting for this to happen. And so when Jesus says it's fulfilled, the implication is, and I'm the one who does it. I'm the one who fulfills it. And so you can imagine the, the scene, that the people, they had to have been just blown away. They had to have been looking at each other, asking questions. Can this really be? Can he really be this guy? And at first, at first, their, their, their response is a good one. And we're going to come back to that. But, but for now, let's, let's think about these words. And let's think about what they really mean. Because as he says these things, it's important that we grasp what Jesus is claiming for himself not only for ourselves, but as we understand what happens as these Jews respond. And so let me read it to you one more time. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are, are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now there's a sense where these words, they seem to have some special relevance uh, for us today particularly, right? In our culture, in our world, the, these words would seem to speak to, to people clearly today. You know, it seems at every turn we hear people talking about justice, about liberation, about helping those who are oppressed and who are poor, People who need health care. And I want to submit to you that here we're reminded that Jesus was concerned about those people. As he goes out into the world, who is it that we most often see him ministering to? It is the blind. It is the oppressed. It is the lepers, the, the widows, the women, the servants. As he teaches... He, he wants to relieve those oppressions, right? He heals. He calls for, for masters and husbands to, to act right, to, to act as they should, to not oppress, to not do those things. He calls his disciples to go out and to preach the same. And so we cannot deny that Jesus is concerned with the physical needs, with the liberation of people here and now. And as his people, we should be concerned about those things as well. Too often, whether it's because of our political climate, whether it's because of our own sinful hearts, we want to reject the claims of certain groups, of certain people, just offhand. And we don't want to think about taking care of the poor. We don't want to think about people who are oppressed. 
Friends, the, the biblical truth is, as Christians, we should be, we are obligated to care about the poor. We are obligated to care about the sick. We are obligated to care about those who are oppressed. Turn with me to Matthew 25. Just give you one good example of this. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. You know these words well. It says, when the Son of Man, Jesus, is talking about the, the judgment that is to come, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Friends, it didn't get any clearer than that. Our Lord cares about the sojourner. He cares about those who are on the fringes of society. He cares about those who are sick and oppressed. He cares about those who are hungry. And he calls us to care as well. And so we need to recognize that, that Jesus wants us to be concerned with the physical needs of people here and now. But we also need to recognize here that that's not all that Jesus has in mind, is it? It's not just the physical needs of people that Jesus came to, to consider. It's not even primarily the physical needs that Jesus came to consider. And it's not just those who are poor and oppressed and sick outwardly that he has in mind as he speaks here. That's, that's so often where our world goes wrong, that they rightly see the evil in the world and they want to fix it. But the problem is, is if all we focus on is the earthly things, then we'll never truly fix anything, right? We will never get to the heart of the matter, to the underlying problems. The issue is not that they go too far in calling out racism or oppression or poverty. The issue is that they don't go far enough. All they want to fix is the earthly things, but the biblical picture, it takes in all of that. It takes in racism and evil, and it says, yes, these things are wrong, but then it gets us right to the heart of the matter. It says the problem all stems from your heart. It all stems from the evil of sin that is in you. And unless we fix that, we're not ever going to fix anything else. Every one of us, are poor. Every one of us are sick. Every one of us need liberation. And where do we find it? Well, the only place we can find it is where with, with Jesus here, right? This is what he's claiming for himself. If all he's done is come to free us from physical things, then friends, death still waits. Judgment still waits. Because we are still in sin. 
But look at that verse on the top of your page, Romans 8. I'm going to turn to it because I'm going to read a little bit farther. Romans 8, 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Jesus has come and He has set us free from sin. He is the one who, who brings sight to the blind, who, who proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. Now what he has in mind there is Leviticus 25, right? That year of Jubilee. If you know your Old Testament, you remember that. The year of Jubilee was a year, every 50th year, where they would set free their slaves, they would set free those who were indebted to them, all debts would be canceled, they would, they would give back land that had been taken to its proper owner. Jesus comes to give that. He comes to give real freedom, real liberation. Because this is what the world longs for. They may not know it, but this is what all of these groups really and truly want. Here's the question. How are they going to know it if we don't go and take it out to them? How are they going to know it if we don't speak the truth to them? Now, the problem that we have right now is the lines of communication are all shut. Nobody wants to talk to each other. We all want to yell and we want to scream at each other, but none of us want to speak to each other. Certainly the other side, but we as Christians too, we just want to yell. How are we going to tell people the truth of the gospel if we cannot go out and build relationships? Friends, I think it's time that we as Christians take a long look at ourselves and we ask, what are we really about? Are we about building our own little small kingdoms with us as the kings and the queens? Or is our goal to go out and proclaim Christ's kingdom? To say, hey, I'm a, I'm a member of a different place, a different kingdom where liberty is real, where freedom is real, where there is no racism, where there is no evil. I'm a member of that kingdom, and you need to be a part of that kingdom too. Friends, the greatest commandment, as Jesus says, is to love the Lord with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and all of our minds. And the second one is like it, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And who is our neighbor? According to the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's everybody. It's everybody that we come into contact with, even our worst enemy. And so we have an obligation to go out. We have an obligation to go and to speak the truth of the gospel. It's what Jesus came to do. And we're the carriers of that. And so Jesus, he, he is the one who brings liberty. He is the Messiah. And at first, again, it seems that the people, they respond well there in verse 22. It said that they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. That they were glad to hear it. But then, of course, somebody, as we usually do, they whisper to their neighbor, Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that just Joseph's son? And didn't I go to high school with that guy? Didn't he help me build my house? Don't we know him and his family? 
how can he really be the Messiah? Maybe if he will do one of those miracles that he's famous for, maybe, maybe then we'll believe. And they respond well, but then doubt begins to creep in. And Jesus, of course, knows it. Because look at what he says there in verse 23. He says, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. He knows that they need a sign. That they won't believe unless they see the miracles, unless they see the wonder. Jesus refuses to do it. And what he gives them is these two examples from the Old Testament. And I just want us to consider those quickly and then we'll be done. But, but there's two, two things here. First, it's is from the ministry of Elijah. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17. And it's the, the story of the widow of Zarephath, right? You remember this. Elijah is hungry. God sends him to find a widow. And there's this lady walking around. And he, he goes to her. He says, hey, bring me something to eat. And she says, I, I can't help you. I've got a, a handful of flour. I've got just a little jar of oil. And that's just enough to feed me and my son. And then we're going to die. That's all we got. Elijah said, no, go home, make me a cake, and then you come back. Not a cake cake, but you know what I mean. Come back and make me some food, and then go back home and eat, because you're going to have plenty. Sure enough, that's what happens. And then the second story is from the ministry of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 5, and it's the story of Naaman, that Syrian general, he has leprosy, he's this powerful man, and he can't be cured of the one thing that he really needs to be cured from. And so after a lot of searching, he finally goes to Elisha, the prophet of Israel, and Elisha won't even come out and see him. He just sends him to go dip in the Jordan River. And Naaman's like, I'm not going to do that. There's better rivers I could dip in. But he's finally convinced to do it. And when he does, of course, his, his, he's healed. His leprosy is taken away. Now, what's the, what's the point? What's the point of both of these accounts? Well, there's two. First, Jesus is showing us here how his people will follow him. He is showing us how it is that we come to believe and to trust and to be his followers. It's not necessarily by sight. It's not necessarily by signs and wonders. Though we have those truthfully and accurately in God's word. But his people will follow him by faith, right? Again, in both of those Old Testament stories, there's a promise. The widow and her son will have plenty. Naaman will be healed. But what has to happen before they receive those promises? The widow and Naaman both have to act on faith. They have to believe God's promise, and they have to go do what he said before he, they receive the, the gift, before they receive the promised thing. Both of them, of course, they, they go and they do that. Well, Jesus is saying to these people, the signs, I'm not going to give them to you. You have to have faith. You have to believe that I am who I say I am. And later in the gospel, he's going to say the signs won't help anyway. They're not going to help you believe. He refuses to give them. He says, you have to trust in me by faith and by faith alone. And then the second point that, that, uh, that Luke is trying to make here, that Jesus is trying to make here, is more clear. But, but what stands out about both of these people, about the widow and about Naaman? Well, neither one of them are Israelites, are they? The widow is from Zarephath. Naaman is from Syria. And listen to what Jesus says. He says there were plenty of, of widows in Israel at the time of Elijah who could have received this, this gift. That there were plenty of lepers in the time of Elisha in Israel who could have received this gift. But who does it go to? It goes to Gentiles. Why? Why? Well, because Israel, in both cases, they had turned their back against God. They had kings that were corrupt who were leading them in the wrong direction. They were worshiping idols. They were worshiping in places that God had not set up. 
They had made uh, 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 pacts with uh, treaties with foreign nations. They, they, were, they were living as God had told them not to live. And worst of all, they would not heed the warnings that Elijah and Elisha brought. So what does God do? He goes to those who will listen. He, he goes out to those who will receive the good news. The warning is clear for these Jews in Nazareth. Jesus says, if you will not listen, if you will not hear it, the good news is going to go forth. And it will go out to someone else, even to Gentiles. So will you hear? Will you listen to what I have to say? As the truth is, is these Jews, they can never see themselves the way that they were, as those who were poor, as those who were sick, as those who were oppressed. They were righteous, right? If anybody had it together, it was them. And so they react, as sinners so often do, they react with anger, they react with the desire to just be rid of Jesus, and so they run him out of town with the intent to kill him. And of course, Jesus slips away from them, they're not able to do that, but the point is, is that they reject this prophet, this Messiah, this king in his own hometown. And here's the, the saddest part of this whole story is that we don't see anywhere else in the Gospels where Jesus ever went back to Nazareth. I don't know that he ever went back and preached the good news there again. He left. He went out to other places to take the good news elsewhere. These people rejected him. Their sin, their pride, their arrogance wouldn't allow them to have simple faith in the king who had come. And the truth is, friends, is there are people in churches all over the world today in this town now that are living with those same ideas, that are living with those same problems, though they have heard the truth of the gospel over and over and over again. They have failed to put their faith really and truly in Jesus. They're not resting in him for their peace. And look, God is patient. He is merciful. He is kind. He is abounding in steadfast love. All of those things that we read in Psalm 107 this morning. But his mercy does not last forever. The offer of the gospel does not last forever. As I ask you today, are you resting by faith in this Christ? Are you resting by faith in this Jesus? Some of you have grown up in this church. You have been here your whole lives. Others of you have grown up in a Christian community in other churches. You've heard the truth of the gospel. Are you resting in Jesus? Are you trusting in him as the only one who can bring salvation, as the only one who can bring freedom? This holy one of Israel, there is salvation and no one else. Will you trust in him today? Let's pray. Father, as we consider your word, Lord, how we praise you for the, the coming Messiah, for the one who came to free, to heal, to take away the, the sin from our lives, from our hearts, to, to deal with it once and for all. And Lord, we, we know the truth of who we are. We know our sin. It is before us. And so we cry out to you for that mercy. We cry out to you for grace. And Lord, certainly it requires faith. We have to live by faith in all that you have said, and that's not an easy thing for us to do. But Father, you strengthen us by the power of your Spirit. You guide us in the way that we should go. And Lord, even that faith that we have, it is a gift from you. And so we pray that you would strengthen us today. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know the truth of the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts. 
Help them to see that the truth of what we've proclaimed today. Lord, your mercy is there. You are, are patient with us. Lord, it is not a, a universal, it's not a, a, an everlasting invitation. So Lord, help us not to, to put it off. Help us not to delay. Help us to look to the only one who can save us, the only one who can give us freedom and salvation, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen.